welcome, welcome, football life. Welcome to the Deep Thirds Football Podcast. We have a special draft edition for you. Not full draft edition, but a little teaser action here. I am your co-host, Randy Hammond. Of course, with my co-host, Matt Bushnell, my football expertise compadre. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing good, Randy. I think we're at that stage of quarantine where um, any little bit of news is turning into big news. Yeah, I was telling you before we just clicked the live button that any football news to me is just the best news ever because it's not news about the coronavirus, which is completely destroying our everyday lives and obviously affecting our fearless leader, Henry. We hope Henry is doing better today, um, doing, getting better every day, hopefully. So uh, we hope that football and us and this conversation we're about to have can bring a little bit of an escape from uh, your quarantining. Hopefully you find this in good health and good uh, happiness. And we could talk about the game that me, you and I love because, you know, despite all the things that change, Matt, so many things yet still stay the same. And I'm talking about the NFL draft itself. Because Roger Goodell, the fearless NFL commissioner, has announced that the 2020 NFL draft will continue as scheduled on Thursday, April 23rd through the 25th. Except, obviously, you cannot have it in Vegas as was originally planned or wherever. um, I forgot what the town is that the the Raiders are. but um, Las Vegas. Yeah, it's technically Vegas, but it's called something else because it's right outside of Vegas or something like that. Whatever. Anderson. Um, But they will. Maybe. But either way, they are going to have the draft, and they're going to do it remotely. And I kind of like the setup of this. But anyway, um, you know, I want to read you a statement from Goodell um, that he released to uh, to the teams and to uh, the public in in general. He said, quote, everyone recognizes that public health conditions are highly uncertain, and there is no assurance that we can select a different date and be confident that conditions will be significantly more favorable than they are today. I also believe that the draft can serve a very positive purpose for our clubs, our fans, and the country at large, and many of you have agreed. Matt, I, from what I understand, you kind of disagree with that. Yeah, I think a lot of things that we've seen on television for the past so many years, you really feel like the fans make the events. Roger Goodell walking up to the stage, getting booed. I mean, it's almost like a tradition for any sport for the commissioner to get booed with the live audience. And I just feel like it takes something away. Like the players going up to Goodell, shaking his hand, giving him that big bear hug or, you know, completely dismissing him in general, which we don't see at all. But, you know, and there might be one out there eventually. But, you know, you, you miss the jersey hold up. It, it's really an event that caters to the fans. And I, I think it's something that will be missing a little bit. I wish they would push it back a month or two. Obviously, Rookie mini camps are going to be canceled, you know, because the virus is still going to be around during that time. We still don't know when the curve will flatten out. But, you know, I just think there, there was no harm in pushing it back. I can see for people clamoring that they want something right now. I just wish we still had that fan interaction and that commissioner greeting with the jerseys. I hear you. And we had a saying um, when I was growing up playing sports, once I was a, once a spry, skinny athlete, that athletes adjust. No matter what, athletes adjust. Uh, I don't always agree with Roger Goodell, but I kind of love this because, like I said, said at the beginning of the show, any news that isn't related to this, and I'm not trying to downplay it, I understand it's very serious, but I just kind of need a little bit of a break because there's no live sports. There's not a lot going on. You can't even go outside. You can't go to a bar, grab a drink or anything like that. You have to be stuck in your house stay inside to like you said 
stop the spread, slow the curve. So I love this idea of them continuing with the draft the way that they, uh, that they have it scheduled because I think people really want to sit there and watch highlights of these guys playing college football as their name gets read. And yeah, they won't get to walk up on stage and be welcomed into the football family, getting the handshake from Goodell and holding up the jersey or anything like that. But the fans at home, you have to consider how many people watch this thing on TV and the social interaction that it gets and how many people like look forward to it. I'm not saying it's like the Super Bowl or even like a WrestleMania, for example, because that's happening this weekend in a different setting, but it's still something people look forward to. And I know that you know, you and I don't root for great teams. We have high draft picks <laughs> almost all the time. So we kind of look forward to this to see uh, what the future of our team is going to be like. Um, and obviously our opinions aren't greater than anyone else's opinions. And we'll get to that <laughs> a little later. Uh, you should want to, you want to stay tuned for that. Um, and if, by the way, if you're watching on football, Life, leave in the comments uh, about what you think about the draft being uh, the way it is still, if you're excited for it, if you think it's going to be lackluster, uh, if you would prefer it to be rescheduled, tell me, tell us what your thoughts and we'll, we'll read them on air as they come in. Uh, Matt, and the one thing I really wanted to touch on about that statement is we don't know if in a month, say they postponed it a month, if it's going to be cleared up. So what happens if you postpone it a month? Okay. And then, all right, well, it's still very much present. Let's postpone it another month. Okay. And then you just keep playing this game. The only, like, it makes sense for actual sporting events who that doesn't make sense to to not having it in front of a live audience or there's a lot of players involved and they're all kind of touching each other, touching the same ball. And then you know, athletes aren't the most clean, cleanliest people in the world. Um, but this can be done remotely. You know, I think this can be totally done and make for great television still, despite there not being a live audience. I think the WWE is going to hurt. I, I don't mean to keep bringing up wrestling, but the WrestleMania, for those who don't know, is happening this weekend taped in front of a, no audience. And I think it's going to hurt them because what makes that show in particular unique is the uh, the presentation of it, the, the fans and the, the way people react. And like, you don't get those moments without the fan interaction. This, I still think you can get uh, good television out of. I still think these guys' lives are changing when they get drafted. They still get that phone call saying, hey, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, you know, it's the Cincinnati Bengals. We're still picking you number one overall. Like, it's still a good moment. It's still not something that they're ever going to forget. So for me, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I would caution – like when we take a look at what could happen versus what is going to happen, I mean, obviously the draft's going to happen now. That's not going to stop that, but there's no guarantee that the NFL is even going to play this year. Like that's something that we also have to keep in mind right now is so I, I don't see the harm in pushing it back with such little information available to the league as a whole, but I also don't see a problem with doing it now. I mean, for me, I'm I'm kind of glad it takes place in Vegas and that it, you know, perfect scenario because the Jets and the Giants are both picking in like the top five or six picks. Uh, Giants have four, Jets have eight or nine. They're both in the top ten. Okay, so I mean, obviously, if you held Maybe this in, <laughs> if if you held this in New York, you're going to have a bigger fan base. You know, you're going to have that bigger pop. Obviously, yeah. with the Raiders being somewhat decent this past season, they're picking. You know, obviously, they have the Bears pick, and I think yeah so last year they have the bears pick so they're picking 19th and i want to say 14th or 15th so and then you also have the 49ers who are picking towards the bottom of the draft and that buckner trade which they got i think put them up to the 13th pick but if it was going to happen and they had to keep it it's it's not terrible that it's in las vegas obviously it would have been a boon for vegas to get the draft 
create more traffic, more gambling. But I think this would have hurt more if it was in New York, and it definitely would have probably been postponed in general just because with everything that's happening in New York and how bad shape that city's in in general. But, I mean, I can rationalize it. I think, like, you've seen with the draft, especially since they've started moving them to football cities in America, that those fan bases tend to travel and have large presences uh, at those things. Like, I remember the the Eagles one in particular, it was just swarmed with Eagles fans. And every time the Giants, the Cowboys, or the Redskins picked, they got heavily booed. It would be the same thing when it was held at Radio City every year in, in Manhattan. So, it's really not any different. I think the Raiders – I'm interested – I would have been interested to see if the Raiders fans would have traveled to Vegas uh, if they're welcoming this uh, change. I know when teams change, it's not always the greatest transition for the fans. So, I mean, I would have been interested to see their presence there. But they are the Raiders. They're one of the most historic uh, franchises in the history of the sport. I have no doubt that it would have been a great atmosphere. It generally always is. I mean, last year it was in Tennessee, which is a, obviously a great vacation hotspot, and it rained. But it still had a great crowd, and it's the Titans. I mean, who cares about the Titans? People in Tennessee don't even care about the Titans. Yeah. So uh, it still had a great crowd. <clears throat> um, I think it, it could have advanced how quickly Vegas gets a Super Bowl, but I also – part of me doesn't think it, that matters that much. I think they're going to get a Super Bowl regardless. I think them in L.A. are probably next on the list of places that are going to get Super Bowls. I don't think it matters that much. But <clears throat> I'm interested to see how they present it. To me, that's, like, the biggest thing is, like, how it looks on TV, because obviously that's like the main focus of this, that you can still like at the NFL, we have agreed on this has dominated the news in the most positive way amongst all the sports during this whole thing, because they're not happening right now, but this is the new league year and free agents can sign and the draft's happening. <clears throat> so I think the NFL uh, really has to be careful with how they, they present this shout out to Jacob uh, Moses. He told us the jets had the 11th pick in the comments. So thank you for clearing that up for me. Yeah, And he also agrees with you, which, you know, someone has to throw Randy a bone here, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I get that. And I think um, one of our members, Arnold Lopez, who's a Raiders fan, I, I haven't really asked his opinion for it, but man, you talk about a right move that feels right. It's the Raiders to Vegas. Like if anyone was going to move to Vegas, it feels right with the Raiders. Like, it just – Las Vegas Raiders. I like yeah. it. I, I tend to agree. It doesn't seem like – I don't know geography all that well, but it seems like it would be a quick flight from Oakland for the fans. Um, Ooh, I know no. that people – try. no, not a quick not a quick flight. Uh, shows you how much I know. But uh, I know yeah. that was L.A. That's closer than L.A. is a much reasonable, more reasonable flight. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I forget how big California is a lot of yeah. the time. I've never been there. So oh, yeah, California I'll, massive, obviously. Yeah, I was actually going to go to the draft. I have a timeshare out in Vegas, so okay. I was going to be there. So it personally affects me a little bit because that's the mm -hmm. same week I had it. I took the week off. I was going to go to Vegas. Then I was going to go to L.A. to watch the White Sox versus the Angels. It was like this oh, no. big sports weekend and everything. So, And also, you know, it's my wedding anniversary too, so I would have had to figure oh, that one out. I'm sure your wife would have loved to go with you and, and enjoy those festivities with you um oh yeah just so you're not just to show you that you're not alone yesterday uh should have been the day that henry and hardy and some other group members should have been at yankees opening day um and the brax but obviously that did not happen so you're not alone a lot of people not getting to go do the things that they enjoy 
but that's why we're doing this because the NFL says, you know what? Enough of those things getting canceled. We are going to do this and you're going to love it. You might not love who your team picks because they can't meet with them. They can't watch them work out. <laughs> they might have a worse time trying to scout them. They might be, there might be some mistakes made, but the draft's going to happen and it's going to be a good time. I know you have that concern, right, Matt, that you think some teams are going to make some mistakes with this? Randy, every year it's proven. First round, 50-50, usually 50% of the prospects will hit. The other 50%, not so much. So I think what, what more of a better exercise than for us to talk about some of the guys that we thought would just hit, would be all-time great mm. players, mm. they end up breaking our hearts. Yeah. So um, you wanted to start with guys who were not on our, te- our teams. It's just general draft picks that were in the first, second round. Um, so also, um, guys watching, you have anyone in mind that you, who you thought was a lock to be a Hall of Famer? Rounds one or two, actually doesn't matter. You know, just throw names out there. We'll read them off as we go. Uh, we got some names in mind. Matt, I want you to kick us off with a guy that you thought was an absolute lock to be Hall of Famer that was not drafted by the Chicago Bears. Go. I, beyond a shadow of a doubt, thought this player was the next Gale Sayers, Reggie Bush. And some people may not say, well, you know, he wasn't a bust. He was okay. He, he never lived up to what I thought he could be. And what he could have been was so diminished by what actually happened. And it's like one of those players, maybe if he played in today's era, he would have been better. But... I just feel like there's something missing. He should have been better than what he was. And I thought Reggie Bush coming out, I told everyone, you know, Mario Williams, you draft him. That's, you know, you don't want Mario Williams. You want Reggie Bush. And I was wrong. You know, we, we don't always agree on things, Matt, but this one I agree with you on. This is one of two players that came to mind for me. Um, Reggie Bush, and I'm aging myself when I say this, was the greatest college football player I have ever seen to this day. Um, I had a college professor who went to Florida who argued with me that Tim Tebow should have been the greatest college football player I had ever seen. A um, little bias on her part, whatever. Um, Tim Tebow's playing baseball. Reggie Bush is out of the league. So who really won that argument? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, to me, Reggie Bush um, was the most electric, must-see player in college and there was not a doubt and I, I think well, most of my family being Notre Dame fans they hated Reggie Bush and and he there was one play in particular he must have made nine of the 11 defenders at Notre Dame just fall on one a single run and he his jukes were were so good his hands were so good he was so fast I mean he wasn't the greatest blocker he wasn't the biggest guy ever but obviously he was a playmaker he won the Heisman got stripped but he was the most electric player um, in college football. And I think by far the best college football player I had ever seen. So for me, I obviously thought he was going to be a great NFL player. And I was pretty disappointed that he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. I, I don't think either of us would call him a bust, right? I don't, you know, we wouldn't call him a bust. I mean, he, he had productive years. I don't think he was ever the number one running back that we all thought he could have been. I mean – and I have to give a shout out to Felipe here for saying my bias for USC. For those who don't know, yes, I am a huge USC fan. I thought Mike Williams was going to be a fantastic wide receiver in the NFL. He ate his way to obscurity. Um, <laughs> and th- there was a lot of other players that I really liked coming out of USC. 
Um, I would like to say that Brian Cushing, I thought was going to be really good. And that was a case yeah. of injuries. Um, we do have one question I have for you, Randy, is that's from Jacob throwing out Ricky Williams being a bust. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if he was a bust. I think that, um, I mean, he had a, a shortened career and he obviously had uh, legal issues. Um, I don't think he was, I don't think you could consider him truly a bust. I think that you have to look at longevity of, of running backs careers. And if you look at like, I don't, I, can't, I don't know off the top of my head how long he played, but I think it's five, six years, if not longer than that. He was a beast. He was so good in new Orleans and he was really good in Miami. Do you know what Bush and Ricky Williams have in common? Uh, is it a Kardashian connection? I don't think Ricky Williams ever dated a Kardashian. <laughs> I don't think so either. Both drafted by the saints. Oh yeah. That obviously I, I should have known that, but um, Mike Dicka trading away his entire draft to the Washington Redskins for Ricky Williams. Obviously the saints picked number two when Reggie was coming out of the draft. I think when you take a look at the styles and I kind of agree, I don't see Ricky Williams as being a bust because he's still, I think he even led the league in rushing one year. I think it was a couple of years. He was, he was really good um, for a, for a while, as long as he wasn't suspended for, for, for you know, the, uh, the ganja, um, yeah. which one of the more legendary newspaper headlines ever was Ricky Williams saying, you know, that was, it was a question is why did you get arrested for pot? And he said, I didn't know I couldn't smoke pot. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest things uh, anyone has ever said. Uh, shout out to Ricky Williams. Actually, I, you know what? I told you I only had two players on the list that I thought were going to be Hall of Famers. I actually have three because I'm embarrassed, but I actually just remembered another one. Um, let's just give 14, 15 year old Randy was mesmerized by this guy when oh, he no. threw the ball 80 yards from his knee. And you know who I'm talking about because he's the great biggest bust in NFL history. And I'm talking about LSU quarterback Demarcus Russell. <laughs> oh, oh no. you thought he was going to be good. <laughs> I did. And I, maybe I was young, maybe I was naive, but I saw that man throw the ball 80 yards from his kneecap and I'm like, wow, this guy's awesome. Like, I didn't know enough to, like, think he was, wasn't, was like, accurate or didn't have the pocket presence or wasn't was just a moron. Um, I kind of just thought his physical abilities would make him good enough to make it in the league. Obviously, my young self, uh, pretty dumb, pretty bad opinion. Um, I'm assuming you did not think much of Jamarcus Russell. No. He had every trait I didn't want in a quarterback – um, and you talk about eating yourself out of the league. I mean, mm. Marcus Russell ate his way to Weight Watchers. I mean, yeah. this guy could put down a buffet like no one's business. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I think one of the more intriguing things was Lane Kiffin kind of, I mean, well, let's be clear. Lane Kiffin didn't want him to begin with. Um, mm. It was Al Davis who wanted Jamarcus Russell because the big arm, you know, you know just win, baby. Just chuck it downfield. He loved the speed. Mm -hmm. He loved the big arms. But mm -hmm. Lane Kiffin, it kind of grew on him a little bit. And for some odd reason, Davis and Kiffin didn't get along anymore. And that really kind of spelled the end of Jamarcus Russell. Could have Jamarcus Russell been somebody? Let's say Russell goes to New England. He goes under Bill Belichick or a different coach. Mm -hmm. I guess my question would be, would environment have changed his trajectory as a quarterback? 
I think that's fair. I mean, I think any time a player gets drafted to the Raiders, to the Lions, to the Redskins, to any of these organizations that are not, you know, don't, do not, don't have a great culture, I think they're set up for failure. And I think we see that a lot. I'm not saying Jamarcus Russell would have been great if he was drafted by any of our teams or, you know, the freaking Patriots. I mean, he might have been still a bum. But anyway, <laughs> he was good enough to get drafted number one overall. I'm not the only one who thought he was, was really good. I wonder, though, if the Raiders don't pull the trigger on that, does he still go pretty high there? Are there other teams that were like, we love Jamarcus Russell? I, I would have to see that draft class again to have a definitive answer. And that was the one where I didn't think any chance that you would pick Jamarcus Russell. I'm like, there's no way anyone thought Jamarcus Russell was going to be a home run player. Oh, but there was. There's one. One. <laughs> 15-year-old Randy. I, I, will, I will say, like Jacob brought up Matt Liner. I thought Vince Young was going to be a fantastic NFL quarterback. Me too. And looking back on it, what we know about Jeff Fisher now, Mm-hmm. Did Jeff Fisher ruin Vince Young? I totally think he did, because look at what he did with Jared Goff. He tried, kind of ruined Jared Goff for the one year he had him. I don't think Jeff Fisher's a very good coach at all. So I'm with you on the Vince Young thing. I think in a different situation, he we might be looking at him completely differently. Um, Matt Leonard, I never thought he was going to be you know, a great NFL quarterback. I thought he benefited a lot from having great NFL players around him at USC. Um, Anyway, I have one more player that wasn't a giant. If you if you have any other players that were not drafted by the Bears? I think there are some guys that I would have to go and think about. Um, Markevious, or God, I forget his name. Mm, drafted by the Browns, I believe. Oh, Barkevious Mingo. Yes, him. I, I thought one he of was the best draft names of all time. Yes, and a big bust. <laughs> Yeah. I remember Mel Kuyper just going, Barkevious Mingo, good player. You know, like, (laughs) just thought it was the dumbest name. We had to be made up, but (laughs) it was real. But, yeah, let's hear yours. Um, So, I I, I didn't play in the trenches. I I was an outside player when I played football, but uh, I have an appreciation for offensive linemen. But does not mean I know how to evaluate them because I thought Greg Robinson was going to be – the next all-time great tackle and he was drafted number two overall by the then St. Louis Rams and I thought it was the most can't miss pick of the whole draft I was like somehow let him fall to the Giants like I wanted him so bad he's been bad he's been really really bad and it just goes to show that I don't know anything about how to evaluate offensive linemen um I really thought Quentin Nelson was going to be good but I I think most people thought that and I I could have been just as wrong with that. I think it's really hard to evaluate those players. And for me, I thought uh, Greg Robinson had the size. I thought he had the quickness. I thought he used his hands well. And I was very wrong. So, yeah, Greg Robinson. Offensive linemen are pretty much like the new quarterbacks when it comes to the draft of just not knowing. And a, a lot of it, you could say the same reasons for offensive linemen as you can say for quarterbacks. The spread offense has changed so much because offensive linemen are now blocking to a spot not blocking a man they're not learning how to drive fire out of their stance and push the defensive lineman out of their way to run the football a lot of it's like can you get outside can you block for a read option can you get that outside linebacker can you get to the second level 
And a lot of these guys lack a lot of fundamentals that you need in the NFL for especially a run game. And then with the pass game, a lot of these tackles and left tackles specifically, because that's mostly the quarterback's blind spot. These offensive linemen are so used to the quarterback creating their own time by running outside the pocket, running up the middle, avoiding that pressure that when they face the speed of the NFL, it mm-hmm. destroys them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you're playing men at that point. These are men. You, you have 275-pound defensive tackles that can – I'm sorry, 275-pound defensive ends running four five forties. That is ungodly insane. You used to have a football coach. He was like, you know, do I need to bring the Coke machine out here for all you aspiring NFL linemen? I mean, just imagine how fast that thing will move. Try blocking that thing. So mm-hmm. th- that's what it is. It, it is totally different. It's a whole other world when you get into the NFL and you're not, you're not blocking Rudy's anymore at that point. You're blocking the best of the best that there is. And uh, there's, there's really not a lot of misses when it comes to that. They're the best athletes in the world and you're not really – able to prepare for that until you actually get there. Um, Jacob throws out another uh, Jets pick, which we could probably go down the line with many Jets first rounders. Um, But (laughs) Vernon Golston was the sixth pick by the Jets in 2008. And uh, yeah, all he said was, uh, after that. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have any opinion on Vernon Golston? He he played for the Bears after that, and he sucked with the Bears. So, (laughs) I mean, I'm glad Jacob decided to share his suckiness to the Bears because, Mm. like, we don't have enough of that in Chicago. But, you know, Golston was hard because he came from Ohio State, and you just always had the feeling like, okay, Ohio Ohio State football players are good. You know, you think – that team, you know, they, they produce NFL players, but man, that, that just turned out to be, I, I don't want to say it's Leonard Floyd-esque because I think Leonard Floyd was still more productive than Golston was, mm-hmm. but man, it, it was not a good pick. Did I think he was going to be great and Hall of Fame worthy? <clears throat> no. Yeah. It's tough that anytime you have a top 10 pick, you tell yourself you want to get a guy who's a gold jacket. And Gettleman said it when he drafted Saquon Barkley. Like, we wanted a gold jacket guy, a guy who could change our franchise. That's all great and all, but it's not always the way it goes. I mean, you, you think you have a guy who looks the part and says all the right things and scores well in the wonder, like, and tested well all around. But like you said, you get to the NFL, the speed's different. The size is different. The coaching is different. You need a different sort of – fortitude when you get to that level that you find out if guys have it or not and a lot of times you won't know until they get there and that's why it's so hard to to be an NFL person I think and I think that you know the Ohio State University pumps out a lot of great NFL players but them like any other big time uh, big five power five conference player you don't really know until they're there I think that any can't miss prospect truly isn't can't miss until he gets there and performs at that level all right I think we do a lot of talking about our own teams on this podcast and it might be too uh, much of the chagrin of our audience, but I think a lot of our audience kind of likes um, when we bash our teams and some of them like our teams at the same time. So um, Matt, you've had some choice words about the Chicago bears as of late. However, you don't need to talk about the current bears. That's what's great about this exercise. 
you can talk about stories about how the Bears pissed you off 20 years ago, <laughs> which is sometimes more entertaining. So let's hear it. Let's go down the line. We'll go back and forth. We can do whatever, how to, whatever way you want to do this because my list is kind of long here. Uh, give me a Chicago Bear that they drafted that you thought for sure was going to be a Hall. Before you answer, sorry. If you're listening to a guy on your team, specifically guys, who you thought was going to be a Hall of Famer, that turned out to be a bust on your specific team. So obviously Jacob said, Vernon Golson, give me some other names if you can. Matt, Chicago Bear, you know, early round draft pick. You were sold. They were going to be the greatest, greatest player ever. And wah, wah, wah. Oh, boy. I remember this one very vividly. And I'll give you the most, the one that comes to mind that's not currently playing. And rest in peace. And the Bears seem to draft a lot of dead running backs that end up dying. Um, I thought when I saw Cedric Benson, when he got drafted by the Bears, and, he, you know, you saw the tears. I was mm-hmm. like, he's got that fire and a passion, as Felipe, who's watching this, knows. But, damn it, I – Lovey Smith, and we talk about – the Bears, it's always freaking defense, defense, defense. They get to the Super Bowl. There are a couple of things about that Super Bowl. The Bears should have won it. That, that should have been the Bears Super Bowl. Raining. The Peyton Manning Super Bowl? The Peyton yes, Man- yes, Manning the Peyton Super Manning Super Bowl that they gifted Peyton Manning. <laughs> the Bears gifted Peyton Manning his first Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and he shouldn't have won one until he went to Denver when he won mm-hmm. that one when he couldn't even throw a football 10 yards. But damn it, it, it watching him, that epitomized Cedric Benson's career in, the, in their Chicago Bears uniform. Raining, grabs on the ball, fumbles. Boom, just pops right out. And you know what? The whole time I was like, why aren't you running Thomas Jones? Thomas Jones, for the love of God. And it just infuriates me to this day that we had a perfectly good running back in Thomas Jones. And everyone thought we kind of had something special in Cedric Benson. Obviously, Felipe just said he's not a fan of the Cedric Benson pick. So be it. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Mm-hmm. He showed that emotion. I, you know, I'm a sucker for guys that cry when they get drafted by a team. <clears throat> And I was just, you don't appreciate what you have until you see what you got. Yeah. It, it's, it was awful. And the Bears lost that Super Bowl. Rex Grossman. I mean, how, how many first picks do you want me to go? Rex Grossman, John Theory, Curtis Enos, um, Mark <laughs> Well, let's go, let's, go, let's go, you know, back and forth here a little bit because we both seem to have a lot of guys. Absolutely. Uh, you got a list. Yeah, so I, before I get into my spiel, I wanted to say I'm I'm a little bit younger than you. So my first draft memory, which I told you already, but um, was in 2000 as a Giants fan. Uh, I was I was all in when the Giants drafted the all-time leading rusher in Wisconsin history, Ron Dane, because Ron Dane picked my favorite number, and for no other reason other than he set records in college, and he picked my favorite number. Did I think Ron Dane was going to be? the greatest running back and I didn't, not in just giants history, the history of the league. I thought Ron Dane was going to be the best ever. Like he, he was going to lead us to a super bowl. Like I was obviously a dumb kid and I love number 27. I bought his Jersey. I was like, Oh God, this guy's great. And he just never turned into anything for the giants. And I was like, maybe I was young. Like I said, I'm young. I don't know a lot about football, but like 
it just never turned out the way it was. And then there ended up being another number 27 that came six years later that was better than him and actually led us to a Super Bowl, who I appreciate now a lot more in my life than Brandon Jacobs. So many people forget about Ron Dane because he completely got overshadowed by a bigger number 27 who was better. So Ron Dane is the first one that I remember uh, being really excited about um, and then obviously disappointed. So you had a bunch of names. Let's hear another, another one for the Bears. No, man, I really don't want to go through this exercise because it hurts so bad. Like <laughs> You just, came up with this idea. <laughs> I know. I thought it was going to be therapeutic. I didn't think it was going to be torture. Um, <laughs> Jesus, like I said, um, Gabe Karimi, um, Felipe, you know, I'm going to use Felipe's because he's spot on the money here. Cade McNown. Wow. Cade McNown. This guy was such a douche that when he parked at the Bears facility, he parked in the handicap spots. Like, what the hell? What kind of douchebag are you? You're a 22-year-old kid, and you can't walk the 100 feet into the building? God, I – oh, man. Cade McDown. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Randy, give uh, us another one. All right. So I just want to point out that uh, recently, when I was when graduating from college, I was looking for a job. I was trying to get an opportunity to be a journalist of some kind and just get my foot in the door somewhere. So I was doing a lot of work online, working for blogs for free. And one of them I came across was called Big Blue United. It was a Giants blog all about like Giants news. It was like a, supposed to be like a one-stop shop for all things Giants. We would take articles from, you know, NewJersey.com, New York Times, New York Post, but we would cite them. We would just give them links to these articles and just try to get people to come to the site. For a while, that was my job. And then eventually, the guy who created the site needed more original content, which was all I wanted to do was just write, you know, basically blogs or, or editorials about the Giants. Basically, I would spin zone everything the Giants did. I convinced myself every decision that they made was the right decision. Every draft pick, every trade, every signing, every small thing that they did was the right thing. And I think that's kind of the way I am the way I am now is that I'm so cynical and so negative about every little thing because I spent 12 years justifying every freaking move Jerry Reese did that I'm not giving anyone else the benefit of the doubt until they start doing something that's good. All right, that's my spiel. The next guy was the first pick by the Giants in 2006 was the last pick overall in the, in the round, number 32, Matthias Kiwanuka. I thought was going to be basically Jason Pierre-Paul before Jason Pierre-Paul came around. He was tall. He was lengthy. He had the, he had the long arms. He, he was quick. He had the fir- uh, quick first move, but he also had, like, not a bull rush, but he could, like, stiff arm you and get right inside. And then he gets to the league, and he's kind of too skinny. And he gets kind of pushed around by offensive linemen. Um, and he had a decent career, like not even decent, but like he stuck around for longer than most Giants fans realize as like an outside linebacker kind of, and would be a backup in a lot of DN situations. But God, if he, if, if he even had half the career that Jason Pierre-Paul had, I probably, I probably would have been happy. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked Matthias Kiwanuki, Kiwanuki, however you pronounce his last name. Kiwanuka. Kiwanuka, yeah. I mean, I li- I liked him. I thought he was serviceable. I I don't understand. Like, mm. I mean, we set right, high expectations. Well, I mean, I I gotta say, you know, I I think your expectations should have been met with two Super Bowls. I mean, he was a part yeah. of one of them. 
Yeah, I just want you to think about what he did in the Super Bowl. The guys <laughs> he's playing behind who actually made the difference in those games. <laughs> Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, OCU Minora, Jason Pierre-Paul. I mean, Barry Cofield. The list goes on and on about the guys actually playing and making differences in those games. And Matthias Kiwanuka is just not one of them. He was nothing more than a, a depth linebacker in, in that Super Bowl. So I, I'm thinking as I see, I'm seeing a lot of names come by. And you know what? I feel kind of like Grant, the Bears have had a lot of terrible draft picks. And we could say the Giants belong in that breath, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think the Jets do an okay job. I mean, I remember some decent Jet draft picks. Um, but Leon Tompkins threw out a name, Roy Williams. And you know yeah. who drafted Mike Williams? out of USC and with the first round pick was the Lions. <laughs> Charles Rogers, Lions. The Lions. Joey Harrington, Lions. <laughs> um, so, so maybe I shouldn't feel so bad that the Lions yeah. are w- with the Lions history. Um, but, you know, I, I know we didn't talk about this pre-show, but if we had – to pick the worst drafting team in the first round all time. I mean, obviously the Bears are in the discussion. I mean, they are in that discussion. But are they in the top five? I think that the first two teams that come to mind for me are absolutely the Lions and the Raiders. Those two teams have just been historically bad. And I think, remember, it was like a a meme going around where all the players that went after the pick that the Raiders made ended up being multi-time pro bowlers. And I wish I knew that list off the top of my head, but the, the Raiders just historically would just absolutely like just botch every pick that they had. And uh, obviously Jamarcus Russell is a prime example of that. But um, I think that, yeah, we are very cynical as fans of our teams, but I think we should try to get Leon on one of these times and talk about uh, the pain of being a Lions fan, because as bad as we think we have it, I don't think anyone has ever had it as bad as uh, a Lions fan. Um, I just maybe a Browns fan. I think the Browns are probably up there too with bad first rounders. Um, maybe the Bears and Giants. Are, I mean, the Bears and Giants are bad drafters as of late, especially. But there are teams who have just horrific, horrific track records. Um, it, it, Leon says Ebron over Aaron Donald is also Ebron over Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, I remember that very specifically. That uh, I did not want the Giants to draft Ebron. I was very happy that the Lions did to save the Giants from themselves. Um, <clears throat> Browns have been really awful. I, I mentioned like the the Jaguars probably. Yep, that, really bad. That was the one that I was thinking about. You, you know what's hard for me is separating like the '70s and '80s drafting versus like no. the '90s and 2000 drafting because I mean there was a stretch where the 49ers. I mean they couldn't find their way out of a dark tunnel with a flashlight. I mean <laughs> they were horrific at drafting. Um, obviously the, the Lions get somewhat redeemed with being smart enough to draft Barry Sanders. Um, Calvin Johnson, (laughs) Matt Stafford. I mean, Matt Stafford, I think all things considered is pretty underrated at this point, but I mean, as a Lions fan, you would have to take him as, you know, your best all time quarterback in the, in the history of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are a lot (laughs) of things that would go into drafting. And I think revisionist history kind of makes you think of, the, the recent bad drafting teams. I mean, the Browns for, you know, you talk about Courtney Brown, Tim Couch, 
back in the early 2000s and God help them if they miss on Johnny or I'm thinking Johnny Manziel, but they drafted him too. <laughs> I mean, they, it, it's awful. They, Lineage of drafting, awful. Well, they passed on Manziel on a corner who was really bad. I, his name escapes me. But then they traded back in to draft him. They wanted him so bad. He he convinced them to draft him in like a in a in a draft day horror movie gone wrong. As <laughs> we bring back that movie again, but <laughs> like yeah. they legit traded back in to get the guy who ruined their franchise for five years. Matt, I believe your audio is cutting out here, so we can't. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. A second, I'm back. So, All right, so back to what you were saying. Jacob, yep. He said that the Jets traded two first-rounders for Dwayne Robertson, defensive tackle. And I, I remember this draft very vividly, Jacob. And I have to ask you this question, sir. Do you want to know who the Bears took with those first two-rounders that you traded us? Michael Haynes out of Penn State, most notably known for his love and infinity of exotic animals such as snakes. He would have been great in WWE. It could have been Jake or the Snake Robertson and then Rex Grossman. Please take those two first rounders back because I don't want them. And, oh, but yeah, Brown. He mentions D. Milliner in the same comment. The funny thing is, I thought D. Milliner was going to be really good too. I just thought Alabama defense. I was like, yeah, he's, he's a corner, and he'll be all right. Um, turns out, Giants got the better player on that defense with Landon Collins, who is now gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, he says Blair Thomas, Kellen Clemens, Kyle Brady. Jets not the greatest drafters either. It appears. Um, look, teams make bad decisions. There's not a lot of teams who are great drafters. And I think you could even go and look at the Patriots drafts and say, what are you doing? You know, I think there are some teams who, who get lucky. I think there's also some teams who might be smarter than for their own good. I think the Patriots consistently trade back for a reason because I don't think that they value high picks and they know that the, the probability of that, that player being as good as they want them to be for the salary that they're going to make isn't worth it. I don't know. I think that the draft, we have to look, go through the draft and do a little research on that. Quantity over quality in a sense because we know you're going to miss on picks right like that's just yeah. a given you're not going to hit on everyone but the more picks you have the more you can absorb those blows and that's what really helps the Patriots is their outstanding depth in the history I mean they got Gronk in the second round and Aaron Hernandez in the fourth round you know and Aaron Hernandez rightfully so I mean you could question if he even should have been drafted with some of the I mean, he marks. fell to them for a reason. I mean, obviously, yep. no, no team wanted the, the trouble of, of taking him. And they thought because they were the Patriots, they could, they could fix him. And, they, you know, they thought they did. But there was more demons there than they realized. Yeah. So, no, and there's absolutely a truth to, you know, what you're saying. Patriots trading out of the first round to get back into the second round, get more picks, acquire more picks. I mean, I think for a few years in a row, maybe four or five even, the Patriots just kept on trading back and back and they kept on getting first round picks for the next year, but they would trade the first round pick to get more <laughs> picks in that draft. And then they acquire another first round pick the next year. So right. Belichick really mastered the draft. And I will say, you know, let's transition to guys that we thought were going to be bust, but they turned out to be good. And I, what made me think of this was Jimmy Johnson. Cause I think Jimmy Johnson may have been the best drafter of my lifetime. Okay. So 
Randy, we'll go to the NFL first, and then we'll go to our favorite teams. But <clears throat> let's go ahead and go with the Giants, or um, with, with your pick in the NFL first. Who did you think that was going to be a bust that is well on his way to being in the conversation for a Hall of Fame jacket? You know, I had a really hard time with this one, and it doesn't compare to what your answer is going to be because I think yours is quite the cold take <laughs> looking back. <laughs> but for me, and, and I don't even think that I, I have a great one that I'm like, this guy is just a complete bust. But uh, I I had a couple questions, that much, and I know you did too, but I didn't think – and he's not even a Hall of Famer. He's still active. But I thought Deshaun Watson and his turnover issues were going to haunt him in the NFL. I just didn't think – like, I, I thought maybe he could be a good quarterback, but I did not see him becoming, you know, the second coming of Russell Wilson, basically, and being one of the most electrifying quarterbacks in the league. Um, I, I was pretty surprised by that. And to even take it uh, – maybe it's not a step further, but um, I did not think – and this guy obviously had injuries that ruined his career, but RG3 I thought for sure was going to be a bust. Like, I didn't think he could play at all. Um, I thought the Redskins were asinine to give up all the picks that they gave up. And then the fact that they picked Kirk Cousins in the fourth, I'm like, they know. They know he's not going to be good. They're going to – Kirk Cousins is going to be the starter in two years or less. Um, but then RG3 kind of took the world over there for a, a year or two. Um, ended up winning rookie of the year, which Andrew Luck got totally robbed of. <laughs> but, well, the, that's a different conversation. But for me, I, the one I could think of more recently was Deshaun Watson. I just – I was really worried about the turnovers in college. I completely overlooked the intangibles of the clutch uh, ability of beating Alabama and his ability to stay poised and his mobility and how many traits he did have that translated to the NFL. I kind of just let the turnovers stick in my head as like a negative on him. So I'm going to go to Sean Watson as one that I really just didn't think was going to be as good as he is. See, and I want to piggyback off that. I'm going to give my name, which I'm going to catch so much heat for, but I told Felipe, because during this time I was buying college tape, you know, the all 22 tape for college teams for draft prospects coming out. And I loved Deshaun Watson. I, I thought he had superstar potential all over him. And you know what? The turnovers, they worried me, but he just had that thing that made him special. Then honestly, I talked myself into Mitch Trubisky and now I want to hit my head. I want to hit, <laughs> I want to take a hammer and hit my head about a hundred times with it. But I, I loved Deshaun Watson. I, I really did like him coming out of the draft. I didn't like Patrick Mahomes, which stupid. Well, I mean, Patrick Mahomes was also looked at as a project, and there many people thought that he would benefit from having Andy Reid, and I think all of us agree that he benefits from having Andy Reid. So I don't think that's, like, a terrible opinion. He obviously had a big arm, but we didn't know if he could translate to the NFL. So. Yep. All right, guys. So might as well just get it out of the way now. I thought Calvin Johnson was going to be a bust. I thought he was a combine baby where he just put up ridiculous numbers in the combine. And then eventually, you know, he turned in to be probably the greatest wide receiver of my lifetime. And I know people are going to say Jerry Rice. Keep in mind, I wasn't even 10 years old when Jerry Rice was pretty much in his prime. I mean, I turned 10 and 92 and obviously Jerry Rice had some great seasons after that, but his late 80, early 90 seasons were just ungodly fantastic. So, you know, Calvin Johnson, I missed, I, I just, I didn't see it. I thought he was, you know, obviously he was tall. I didn't think he was football fast and boy, man, eh, 
that's that's a freezing cold take on my end. This is the guy that is definitely the best receiver of my generation because I caught the tail end of Moss. I, I watched Moss dominate with the Patriots for a year, but I really feel like um, a lot of prime Moss I missed out on. Um, so I, I would say, if anything, Moss is probably the one that's better, if anyone. Um, but I don't even know. I mean, at his peak, Calvin Johnson was as good as anyone. I think that. <laughs> I think that. I mean, you. I, I saw To, and I feel like in his prime, and I think Calvin Johnson was better than To, who is one of the best receivers of all time, too. Uh, I've seen a lot of Larry Fitzgerald's career, when he's obviously his longevity and his professionalism and and all his numbers that he's a top five receiver of all time, probably. But Calvin Johnson at his peak. I think his talent is unmatched. I, I, he was incredible. He made the Lions relevant. I mean, he made Stafford, Stafford better than he was early. I mean, Stafford, I think, is, is a really good player and has gotten better recently. But for a long time, he relied heavily on Megatron. And obviously, Megatron, great nickname, all-time nickname for a wide receiver. So, I tell you, that's, that's tough, man. That is tough that you missed out on, on Calvin. Yeah, I mean, it's – when you watch someone that you know is so dominant and so much better than everybody else on the field, it's like watching Michael in his prime, and it was like an art to it. Where as LeBron I'm, and Leon and Jacob, I wish they would do a comparison of LeBron versus Michael. Is it artistic on Michael's side? Is that why the older people view it more as a beauty? Or do we appreciate LeBron's this sheer power and force where he can just dominate you and pound mm-hmm. you into submission? And I feel like Calvin Johnson had the best of both worlds at the wide receiver mm-hmm. position. He was bigger yeah. than almost every wide receiver that ever played the game. And he was just as fast as the fastest DBs mm-hmm. on the field. And not mm-hmm. only was it was beautiful, but he just beat you to death. You couldn't press mm-hmm. him at the line of scrimmage. Only one cornerback can. And we could talk about him too in this discussion, but man, are we are we talking about a bear here? Is this Peanut Tillman? A, absolutely, <laughs> Charles Tillman was the only cornerback in the NFL that stymied Calvin Johnson. It was always a tough battle. Like Calvin Johnson always had really good games, but man, you could put Peanut Tillman on him one on one, and and you could feel okay about it. Like you knew Calvin was going to get his but he wasn't going to explode. So I, I think, you know, when you talk about Bears, I mean, we could go through a long list of really good second-round pick for the Bears. First-round yeah. picks, not really there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, Calvin Johnson was the one that hurt me. But, yeah, I, that, that's what I appreciate about it. I, I am a Michael Jordan fan because that's who I grew up, Chicago sports fan. But it was beautiful. It was art. You know, you, you saw the artistic ability flowing off the page with Michael. It was never this sheer power. With LeBron, yeah. you just saw, like, you, you can't stop him. You physically mm-hmm. cannot stop LeBron. He's bigger, faster, and stronger than you. But Calvin Johnson, it felt like it's beautiful, and he's bigger, faster, and stronger than you. Yeah, I think that's a good analysis. I think that he's totally – I think he was absolutely the total package. He could take a slant to the house. He could go deep and catch a jump ball over two guys. He's also a great possession receiver where if you needed seven yards, he'd give you an eight-yard out and toe-tap his way in bounds. Like, I think the closest comparison to him was Julio, and I think Julio is very much the guy with the size, who has the speed, who has the ability to go up and get it. 
Um, I think that's probably the closest comparison, but I think even Julio isn't close to the level of Calvin Johnson on the end that peak, especially because Calvin in that, that 2009 to 2014 range was just unreal. Was the only receiver anyone ever thought about taking in the first round of fantasy too. It wasn't even close. It was like Calvin Johnson. All right, I'll pick him, but I'm not taking another receiver for a long time because I'm set. Like <laughs> it was all running backs. <laughs> You know, Randy, why are we more angry at the Lions and Leon? I mean, God, could you imagine being Leon? The Lions caused two generational players to retire in their primes. We missed Barry Sanders and we missed Calvin Johnson completing their primes because the Lions were so inept at putting anything around these guys that they said, screw it, I'd rather not play anymore and pass up these tens of millions of dollars than play for this sorry sack franchise. Would you, wouldn't you retire to be, wouldn't you retire if you had to live in Detroit too, Matt? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's possible. I'm sorry for anyone who lives in Detroit, but this is more reason that we have to get Leon on the show. And we need a Lions fan perspective for this because you're absolutely right. Two generational talents, two all time greats at their position, just calling it quits out of nowhere. Uh, and leaving us wanting more. And I think that there's a lot to be said about that because some guys hang on too long and give us too much. So good for them in, in that aspect. But um, I think now what they all wanted to hear uh, is, is a little snippet from our teams. Um, and before I get into my guy, uh, it's, it's, it's funny to me because, like I told you, I would do the spin zone on every player the Giants drafted for 12 years. Um, I'm talking about – and let me find a list here. From Jason Pierre-Paul, who was a good player. Prince Mukamura, who was not a good player. David Wilson, who had to retire because he did backflips in the end zone after he scored touchdowns. Ruben Randall, who the only reason anyone ever knew his name since Eli was forced to throw him the ball because their receivers sucked for four years. Um, Justin Pugh was actually a decent offensive lineman, but the Giants never gave him a second contract. Um, Odell Beckham Jr., um, we got to the guy because Odell Beckham Jr. was the first, was the one guy of all the first rounders the Giants drafted. And I'm talking the next year the Giants drafted Eric Flowers, completely bought in, said, oh, we don't need Brandon Scherf. We'll take Eric Flowers. He's bigger. He's faster. He has a mean streak. We're all in. Eli Apple. I'm like, oh, who needs Leonard Floyd? Who needs Jack Conklin? We have Eli Apple. What a great job by Jerry Reese. I'm an idiot. So the one guy, because I was like, oh, I didn't really ever hear from, I don't even know who really Odell Beckham Jr. is. Yeah, he makes one-handed catches and he has these cool returns for touchdowns, but uh, Jarvis Landry he was a better player and he's picked later and he's a better position possession receiver. And I'm like, that's weird. The giants could have had Aaron Donald. Or actually they, they, yeah, they could have had Aaron Donald and they could have had um, the, the lineman that the Cowboys took in that draft. His name is escaping me, but they picked a, a, uh, an elite offensive lineman. Zach. And uh, yeah, Zach Martin, Zach Martin. And the Giants' offensive line is really bad. So I'm like, oh, cool, they'll go Zach Martin. I had no doubt in my mind they're going to go Zach Martin. So when they picked an outside receiver, and I, I knew the Giants' receivers were bad, but I thought protecting Eli should have been the top priority here. And like, much like how I feel about the Giants now, um, it's just – I don't know if it's ironic, if it's just funny that the one guy I did not buy into turned out to be the best draft pick. Uh, the second – maybe the second best draft pick Jerry Reese ever made uh, all po- – pro receiver, multiple-time pro bowler. The only time the Giants have made the playoffs since they won the Super Bowl in 2012 is because Odell carried them there in 2016. Um, I'm still upset that they traded this guy. Um, You talk about generational talents. I don't think he's close to the level of Calvin Johnson, but he's definitely the best receiver in Giants history, and he's a top-five receiver now when he's healthy. I think he's definitely – an elite player at his position. And when, before he broke his ankle, I, he was one of the most exciting players in the league to watch. And I just, 
couldn't get it. I couldn't buy in. And I think when he got drafted, especially, and he didn't play until week five of his rookie year because of a hamstring problem. And the media is killing him. And I'm like, God, oh, this guy's never going to play. Like, what the hell is going on? What's wrong with his hammy? Is he ever going to play? Like, I mean, we have Victor Cruz. I mean, why do we draft another receiver? We got, we were set. And turns out I was wrong. I got both of his jerseys and I, he's not even a giant anymore. So Odell Beckham Jr. is the big one for me as a Giants fan. And for the listening public at home, when they traded OBJ, some of the greatest Facebook rants you ever want to see came from Randy. <laughs> he was done with the Giants. No more Giants, which – I'm know. still in a trial separation from them because of that. <laughs> I, 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 Odell was one of my favorite players ever on the Giants. He was one of the most exciting players. I had both of his jerseys, like I said. Um, still really pissed that they traded him. I, I don't care what they got for him or how well he performed last year. I just thought he was one of those guys that I wanted to be on my team for life, and I thought he's one of those guys that no matter his attitude, he made your team better. Um, whether that's true or not, that's something I believe. And until Dave Gettleman is gone, I'm still on a trial separation with my love, the New York Giants. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, unlike you, being a Chicago Bear fan, I before the latest before Ryan Pace, I talked myself out of so many Bears picks. And you know, when you're right more than you're wrong, you start developing this complex like, well, this guy sucks. This guy sucks. <laughs> I'm right. I'm good at this stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> then along came a certain first round pick. Um, God, I can't remember the wide res- Plaxico Burris, drafted by the Steelers, ahead. Oh, Ahead of Brian Urlacher, I wanted Plaxico so bad wow. on the Bears. I was like, wow. I've got to get Plaxico. And I was just, I hated the Urlacher pick. I'm like, no way, no. I was like, great. I, I don't want to say I thought Urlacher was going to be a bust, but it kind of felt like a guy without a position. And then watching him his first four games trying to play outside linebacker getting absolutely demolished was just like validation. <clears throat> And then all of a sudden, the Bears middle linebacker, I believe it was Barry Minter at the time, got hurt. And what did the Bears do? They put Urlacher at middle linebacker, and the rest is history. Greatest <laughs> middle linebacker of the 2000s and, well, basically the 2000s. Future Hall of Famer. <laughs> he is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So, That's what I mean, of the time, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. And he has hair now, so – so great recovery on that front. <laughs> and he lives down in Phoenix, Arizona. So practically we might be neighbors. I just don't know it. Obviously not. He probably lives in a mansion down here. But right. regardless to say, I hated the Urlacher pick. It was hard for me to justify it. I think what made it easier was that Burris went one pick ahead of Urlacher to the Steelers. So it was just kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, man, we missed it. And then I couldn't get excited for the Bears pick. So that that one, yeah, I totally whiffed on in a in a way. I never thought he was going to be as good as he was, and it just kind of felt great—a defensive team with another defensive player. I'm sick of this, <laughs> you know. And it just it rings true for this team. Every time they select a defensive player, it's just like, man, can we? There's offense to this game, you idiots. I I think that's a good call. I mean, I mean, Plexico Burris is, I mean, six foot seven, really good hands, really good wide receiver prospect. Not a bad player, obviously. Let help the Giants win a Super Bowl. Uh, I think the Bears would have been happy with Plexico Burris, but I think they ended up being happier 
uh, with, with Brian Urlacher. I don't think that's a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, obviously they were ecstatic that they got Urlacher, but it just goes along the lines of just like, man, why do we have to keep on doing this? Why do we treat offense as some sort of abomination in Chicago? Like, we saw the greatest two-way basketball player that ever lived who happened to be the best offensive player in the NBA when he was playing in Michael Jordan. I mean, yeah. Jeremy Roenick for the Blackhawks was a scoring machine. I mean, shit, the Cubs had Sammy Sosa with 68 home runs. The White Sox had Frank Thomas, probably the greatest right-handed hitter that I've ever seen. And I'm <clears> stuck <throat> with fucking defense for the Chicago Bears. Like, how come I can't adjoin – I mean – the Bears have never had a 4,000-yard passer. They've never had a quarterback throw for more than, I think, 35 touchdowns. And it's just so infuriating. Why can't we have nice things, Randy? Why can't the Bears have something shiny? Look, I think that because you said all those other great players in your city's history and you've experienced so much success, you got to have the redheaded stepchild. And maybe it's the Bears. Um, maybe it is the Bears. I mean, you'll always have the 85 Bears. At least. I mean, you'll always have that. I was three years old, Randy. I yeah. was three years old. I get it. See, I, mean, I live in New York. We, we, many of our teams have experienced success, but the Knicks haven't had any success in, in over 40 years now. They are basically the redheaded stepchild. Um, but if you look at the state as a whole, we have this, these teams called the Bills and the Sabres. And everyone kind of just leaves those as like the redheaded stepchildren. Whereas like the Mets at least have like, they won a title in 86. They've been to the world series kind of recently have some great players in the, in their history. Um, the Knicks, however, kind of like the laughing stock of, of sports most of the time. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's and not every, not every city can have every team be great all the time. I don't think that's realistic. So I think the bears, you know, Matt, maybe someday, you know, that's all I can say is maybe someday. I, I can't actually believe I'm associating the Bears and the Knicks in the same realm. Like, th this is not what I was shooting for. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, criminy. Like, I mean, I I'll go on the limb and say the Knicks are the worst drafting team out of any professional mm -hmm. sports franchise ever. Like, wow. I, 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 the, the dumbest personnel, the, the front office, everything they do is so bad that – to think that the Chicago Bears are in that same conversation, just like you put a knife not only in my heart, Randy, but in my soul. I don't know, man. You know the Blazers passed up on Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant, right? I mean, they might be a, a the worst draft. That, I mean, that, that's pretty bad. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's tough to do. So, I, I, All right. So we're going to put a bow on this. We've, we've been talking about this. I think this has been a fun conversation uh, about the draft. Maybe not so much fun for some fan bases, but um, good news is there will be an NFL draft in three weeks. Uh, I cannot wait to get a little bit of whatever normalcy that is, but I want to see what happens. We'll, we will do a draft special in the future here, talk about some prospects about uh, maybe we'll do a little mock draft ourselves um, in the future. But um, you know, Matt, another week, uh, another, Another attempt at us trying to make it a little escape for people's lives. And uh, I hope you and your family are doing well. And like, like I said, um, I think both of us share in the sentiments that our fearless leader, Henry, we hope that he's uh, on the path to recovery because obviously he announced on Dong City earlier this week that he did have uh, the coronavirus and was experiencing some severe symptoms. So uh, we hope Henry's doing better. Um, we hope all of you stay safe. 
Obviously, that's the most important thing here. Practice your social distancing, listen to some podcasts, and join us. This is a good transition for tomorrow morning on the Step Back Podcast in Ball is Life, where I will be joining Jacob Moses and Leon Tompkins for a special edition where we're going to play a special basketball edition of Jeopardy, Matt. We're going to play I'm gonna my my age is going to show in this because I don't know how hard this is gonna be, but we're gonna play Jeopardy and I'm excited. So I uh, hope you all tune into that tomorrow morning at Ball and Ball is Life at 11 o'clock. Matt, uh, this was a, a lot of fun as it always is with you, uh, and I can't wait to do it again. Absolutely, Randy, and obviously we will keep on pumping out the content. And next week, watch out for the podcast. We'll be back. Yeah, take care, guys.